This is Steve Thompson hanging with you, and today we are covering part of Jesus' last discourse, his last stretch of teaching, and he gets into some scary, troubling subjects. So let's jump right into Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 28. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel The prophet spoke about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention here. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women or for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Those are some incredibly uh, cool uh, pictures or images, maybe graphic, if you will, but lightning. I mean, have you seen a thunderstorm? Have you experienced it where it, it just appears out of nowhere in the sky? It just unmistakably lights up the entire sky with this incredible flash. And then, of course, announces its presence for miles and miles with peeling and rippling thunder. You can't miss it. I mean, hopefully it misses you, but you can't miss it. Vultures, turkey buzzers, carrion type birds. You don't want them circling above your head when you're dragging your weary body through a sun-scorched desert. 
At least that's what I've learned from the movies. I don't intend to ever visit a sun-scorched desert, at least not with tons of food and water. But you get the point. Where there's birds circling, there's some kind of animal dying or already dead. Nearly all of what Jesus is addressing throughout this passage we just read refers to the destruction of the temple specifically. But some of it, going through the end of the chapter that we'll get into tomorrow, addressed the second and third parts to the disciples' three-part question. Interestingly, it appears the disciples thought all three would be a part of the same cataclysmic event, but Jesus didn't see it that way, and neither did Matthew, as he was quoting Jesus. So he teases out all three uh, distinctly. Jesus had his sights set on the temple as they were leaving, having just worshipped there in one of the wonders of the world. The, the structures were amazing and beautiful, and they would contribute, continue to participate in their centuries-old traditions of engaging with God because there was no other way known at the time. But Jesus wanted them to understand that they were living at a point in time where all of it would get disrupted and upended in order to give birth to something completely new. The temple had become a location marked for judgment and destruction. I mean, in the last episode that Jeff did, we heard the harsh words for those who were leading the temple worship, the the religious leaders. The old way of doing things needed to pass away, as Jesus himself was fulfilling and was about to fulfill all that the temple was intended to do and all that it could not possibly do. And then God himself would dwell in all of us who would put our trust in him and declare allegiance to him as king, living our lives under his rule. That happened a long time ago. It's kind of in our rearview mirrors. So we've become accustomed to entirely new ways of engaging with our heavenly father through Jesus. So we tend to focus completely on those second two questions. When will the end happen? And how will we know? And Jesus's unchanging response is, stay calm and stay faithful. You're not going to miss it. That won't even be possible. It won't happen in some remote corner and then you'll just continue on with life as normal, blissfully unaware. It will completely upend and disrupt your life. We just don't know when. And it kind of gets confusing when Jesus and other biblical writers even use metaphors referring to how the world will continue to operate in all of its glorious dysfunction, evil piling up on evil, natural disaster following natural disaster. It's broken. It will continue to be broken. I mean, wars, famines, earthquakes, this is all the beginning of birth pangs. Humans, animals, all creation in concert groaning as one thing passes and something new is born. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't necessarily immediately follow. I mean, the world has kept on spinning for another 2,000 years since Jesus gave these warnings. Terrible things continue to happen. Geopolitical brokenness bubbles up in every corner of the globe. Of course, I think close to our minds, Ukraine and Russia uh, a lot. But the Ukrainians actually have seen this before. Even within the past hundred years, brutal things happened to them at the hands of Russia. But sieges of their cities 
just causing people to starve and do unspeakable things. Parents even having to eat their own kids just to survive. And it could happen again now in this time. And it's unspeakably evil in every direction you look at. It doesn't mean the end is going to happen this year. It doesn't mean it won't either. It's simply what we expect of a cancerous planet. I sometimes wonder what would happen if if there was a war or an invasion on, God forbid, the good old U.S. of A. We haven't had a domestic war or any any uh, anything like that on our home soil since it was brother against brother in the Civil War. And it just seems unthinkable for us. But if we've learned anything from history and scripture, it shouldn't be unexpected either. I mean, not that the USA is in scripture, it's not. I'm just saying that these kind of things happen over and over again. We can't escape evil no matter what corner of the world we happen to live in. The same principles apply for those who have allied their lives in the king, to the king of the universe, no matter where we live. Don't panic. This has happened before and it will keep on happening right up until Jesus returns to undo it all. And here's a mind-blowing truth if you dare to believe it. Jesus, and the book of Revelation too, by the way, say that the evil we're experiencing is only a portion of what could have been experienced. God has been restraining and limiting so much evil out of mercy on those who remain faithfully allegiant to Jesus. So what do we do about these things? Stay faithful, endure, run if you have to, but don't lose your confident hope and expectation that all of this is temporary. And I believe in this section of Jesus' teaching, his most stressed point over and over again is don't chase after people or leaders who promise to lead you in violent revolution and revolt against whatever power is oppressing you. Let me say it again. Don't chase after people or leaders who promise to lead you in violent revolution and revolt against whatever power is oppressing you. Jesus says, that's not me. You'll know when I show up. But the expectation for a violent grassroots overthrow or even a top-down crushing, stamping out, the ones leading those kinds of movements aren't me. I model, and I'm about to model, and have modeled the way the kingdom is going to disrupt and spread and conquer in this world until that day when I finally come back to finish the job. So for me, Steve Thompson, as I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in all of this, I feel like Jesus has put his finger right on a familiar button, a button I think we all have and want to use. It's the eject button. He's got his hand over it. He's covering it. I think he's putting duct tape on it that says, don't press this button. Our troubles and our trials in this life are not to be avoided or even feared. We are invited through them, endured, pushed through, suffered with, Suffered with hope, though, and even with joy. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed, he said. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then I hear his biological brother, James, echo these words in his letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance or perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. So what opportunity for joy are we facing right now in this life? What opportunity feels like oppression and discomfort and we'd really rather just hit the eject button? But beneath the surface, God is wanting to produce depth and faith and even joy in you right now, in me right now. Oh, and by the way, the good news about the kingdom that you and I are embracing, it will never be squashed. The persecution, the struggle will actually amplify the good news and people will come rushing into the kingdom and join in our allegiance to Jesus as we see, as they see how God is moving in us in a way that's completely mind-blowingly different than how the world is currently operating. And so, Father God, with that perspective, we ask that you would again fill us today with your Holy Spirit, that you would grow in us the fruit of your Holy Spirit so that we could count it all joy, so that we can face these things with hope and determination that you are conquering through our self-sacrifice and through our faithful endurance. But Lord, that's not natural. That's not our natural instinct, instinct. So we ask for your supernatural strength and perspective and compassion and power as we follow you through the flames, through the opposition, through the hardships. And so we face today with joy and thankfulness because you are doing new things. Amen. Have a fantastic day.